All right, I'm going to invite you all to live life on the edge a little bit. Going to get kind of dangerous. I'm going to ask you some, to do something that's kind of dangerous for any pastor to ask the congregation on Sunday morning. I'm going to ask all of you to close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes. Okay. Now, while your eyes are closed, don't fall asleep on me. Okay, I'm just getting started here. I know your morning coffee may not have kicked in yet. But while your eyes are closed, I want you to picture a time when you were really excited to see someone. Picture a time when you were really excited to see someone. What did that excitement feel like? Who was it? Was anyone else there? What did you do when you finally saw them? Okay, you can open your eyes. <laughs> well, for me, the image that comes to my mind when I think of being really excited to see someone is the airport. The airport's a really great place to see people who are also excited to see their loved ones. At the Boise Airport, I've seen kids holding cute little signs, maybe you have too, right, when they walk through, um, walk through the terminal. Cute little signs, they're holding balloons, they're holding flowers. There's all these really sweet ways that loved ones welcome each other home at the airport. And one of the times that I have been most excited to see someone was when my husband Brad got back from being gone for six months. So he went off to basic training and then went to his tech school afterwards and was gone a total of about six months. And that was really difficult for us. I wasn't even able to talk to him for the first 10 weeks of him being gone. So you can imagine that when he arrived, when I saw him walk through that terminal gate, there was laughing, there was tears, there was joy. And it was almost kind of like a, like a Nicholas Sparks movie where time seemed to just stand still, if only for a moment. Now imagine for me, if you will, waiting to see someone your entire life. Waiting with anticipation and excitement for their arrival. Probably telling everyone that they can think of that this, this other person is coming. I know when I was pregnant with our daughter Canyon, my mom was telling everybody that she was about to be a grandma. Like she was even telling the employees at a craft store. <laughs> I was there, I saw. Ooh. Telling everybody. And this is the same level of excitement and then some that we see in our scripture passage this morning from John. John the Baptist had been waiting for Jesus to make himself known as the Messiah. He just had to tell everyone. His life's purpose was to prepare people for the arrival of Jesus. And he'd been preparing people since before he was even born. In Advent, we were reminded of him leaping in his mother's womb when he was near Jesus. John was excited, and he was inviting others in to be a part of that joy. And in this season of Epiphany, we get to see the Spirit giving John his own Epiphany. So John was the cousin of Jesus, and we can probably assume that they knew each other, even maybe grew up together. So what John didn't know for sure, though, was that Jesus was the Messiah they had been waiting for. And I don't know about you, but I can't help but wonder in this passage if as they grew up together or as they knew each other and in their interactions, I can't help but wonder 
John ever wonder himself if Jesus was the Messiah? Right? Scripture only gives us this small fraction of of stories from Jesus's life. And so you can't help but wonder growing up with somebody, it was Jesus, right? Like you can't help but wonder, did John ever question, is Jesus the Messiah? But in our passage this morning, Jesus is revealed to John as the Messiah for the first time. Can you imagine finding out that the person you've been waiting to see your entire life was someone you already knew? Someone who had been right in front of you. How's that for an epiphany? Right? All right, well, would you stand with me for the honor of the reading of the gospel? We are going to be reading from John chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world! Exclamation mark, right? That's the excitement that we're talking about. Okay, this is the one about whom I said, He who comes after me is really greater than me because he existed before me. Even I didn't recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be made known to Israel. John testified, I saw the spirit coming down from heaven like a dove, and it rested on him. Even I didn't recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this one is God's son. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, what are you looking for? And the NIV says that he asked them, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, Jesus' interactions with John and the disciples are fascinating in this passage. Jesus doesn't actually say much. I'm not sure if you caught that too, but he doesn't say, Oh, hey, it's me, the one you've been waiting for. Surprise, cousin. No, no, he doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't show up and make a big scene. Instead, when he shows up, it's the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus' divinity known. In fact, Jesus doesn't say anything at first. And I can't help but wonder if maybe that was intentional. Maybe what we're supposed to notice here is less about what Jesus says and more about John and his faithfulness. John bears witness to Jesus' presence. 
He sees him, and the first thing he does is exclaim that it's Jesus, and he is the Lamb of God. And then John points the disciples with him to Jesus. This is important because John has spent his entire life devoting it to paving the way for Jesus. John is well-known. People know who John is. So well-known that people have begun to ask him if he is, in fact, the one that is the Messiah. So when Jesus shows up, this is John's airport moment. All of the excitement, all of the emotions, time seeming to stand still. You see, we learn something about John's identity here. This moment reveals to us John's priorities. He could have taken this moment to puff himself up and to make it more about him than it was about Jesus. John could have said, I'm the one that spotted Jesus and had the epiphany that Jesus is the Messiah. Look at me. He could have said, look at how important I am in this moment. But instead, John responds in humility that the Spirit is what revealed the presence of God to him. You see, for John, he cannot tell people who he he is apart from telling them who Jesus is. His identity was about his relationship with Jesus. John knows who he is. And he knows who Jesus is now. So even in this monumental moment, John points his disciples towards Jesus and away from himself. John's goal is to bring people to Jesus, not to grow a greater personal following. It's not a popularity contest for John. And thus, a new community is being formed. We see it right here in this passage. We get to be witnesses to this new community taking shape, a community where the Messiah moved from being talked about to a community that follows and walks with Jesus. The times were changing. A community was being formed in which the disciples are responsible, not just Jesus and not just John. A community that looked more like a relationship walking alongside a two-way street, merely more than just a teacher and student imparting knowledge relationship. And we see these two disciples begin to follow Jesus as he invites them to follow him, first with baby steps. Jesus invites them to abide with him, and so they do. They hang out with him until 4 o'clock, right? Scripture tells us they spend a while with Jesus, And when Jesus speaks, he first asks them what they're looking for or what do they want. But then he says three short words that hold so much. He says, come and see. Come and see. In the book of John, we find a lot of I am statements for Jesus. And so if Jesus were to respond with an I am statement here, we wouldn't be surprised. Right, but instead, he says, come and see, because the seeing that Jesus is referring to here is not just about seeing with your eyes. It's about seeing with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's an invitation to listen. 
And he doesn't say, come follow me all the way to the cross right now. He says, come and see. He's calling for this small step of commitment for them to move forward in relationship with each other. Come and see. He calls for a small step of faith for them to see what God has in store. I can almost hear Jesus saying the same words, just just wait and see. Trust me, this is going to be good. Come and see. And while this is incredibly powerful, we'd be missing out if we didn't also notice what happens with John's disciples in this passage. Right? So first, Jesus is revealed to John, and John responds with humility. Then second, Jesus invites the disciples to follow him, to come and see what a relationship would look like. And then lastly, here's the disciples, Andrew and the other guy, which (laughs) kind of makes you feel bad for the other guy, right? Like his name isn't even in there, right? Stinks to be him. So Andrew and the other guy, John is incredibly important to them. He has been their rabbi. But John's goal has always been to point them to the Messiah. Right, so they do what any good student would do. Their teacher has been instructing them to follow Jesus. So they do. They follow Jesus. And after they follow Jesus and spend time with him, what does Andrew do? The first thing he does is go find his brother and bring him to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've always had a really difficult time talking with my family members about Jesus versus somebody that I don't know very well. Am I the only one? Any of you have struggled with this too? Sometimes it's really hard to talk to your family members about your core beliefs, the things that you believe in, and to talk to them about the Lord. It can be really hard. Family dynamics can be one of the most challenging places that God calls us to love each other. We don't always get to choose our family, but sometimes it can feel like they have a way of bringing out the best and worst in you. You know what I'm talking about? Especially right after the holidays. Places that maybe you didn't know still need God's refining and God's healing in your life. And places that you didn't even realize were places that needed care until those buttons were pushed and you feel those hairs standing up on the back of your neck, and you're, oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're with me right now. The depth of family relationships can be complicated. And I love that in Scripture here, we're told that the first person Andrew goes to see after spending time abiding with Jesus is his brother, Simon. We don't know if their relationship was complicated or not, but regardless... Andrew follows the example John set by bearing witness to Jesus' presence by inviting his brother to meet Jesus too. In the same way that the Holy Spirit abided with Christ, so John and the disciples were invited to do the same, and so we too are invited to invite others to do the same, to experience the peace, the grace, life, and compassion that Jesus brings to individuals and communities. We, too, are to give witness to what God is doing and to go invite our brothers and sisters, both in our biological families, in our families, and outside 
right? We too are in, we too are asked to invite others. But notice here how Jesus invites others to follow him. This is, this is important, right? Because it's not through fear. Jesus doesn't invite them to follow him and to enter into a relationship with him through fear. It's not by command. It's not through bribery. It's not through coercion. It's through a simple invitation of what are you looking for? Because you're going to find what you need. You're going to find what you need. And I can't help but think that if we evangelize like that, evangelism would no longer be a negative word for so many young people in the modern-day evangelical church. It's an invitation to follow and be in relationship with God to help people to see that God is what we actually need. We all have our own version of saying yes to God, but who was it that first introduced you to God? What compelled you to say yes to God? I'll bet it wasn't because someone guilted you or shamed you to come to church. Because meeting Jesus for the first time is sweet. It is sweet. It changes your life forever. And we work out our understanding of scripture, our understanding of Jesus together in community with one another. This is the gift of the church we more realize who we were created to be and who God is together. For John, his humility and faithfulness led others to Jesus, and the early church took on a new shape. For us, do we live with the same level of humility and faithfulness and excitement to invite others to what we too see? what we too have experienced living a life with Christ? How might God be asking you to trust and abide with him, even if in baby steps today? Maybe there's someone on your heart that you're thinking of that needs to experience the love of Christ, and maybe like Andrew, it's a sibling. Or maybe God is inviting you to share about what you've seen, to be a witness to how God has been moving in your life or the lives of those around you. How freely do you point Jesus to his, point to Jesus and his goodness when speaking to others in your life? Would we be a people that walks with the Lord in excitement for the days to come? And may you boldly be a witness to God's work in and around you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, would we abide with you? Would you fill us with courage when we feel your prompting to share how you are at work in our lives? Would our identity be so wrapped up in you that we cannot help but tell people about you when they learn more about us? Would we be open to what it is you want us to come and see? Amen. Amen.